Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. But to get started with tonight's reading, which I know all of you are excited about, um, I'm going to read both authors' bios now, and then they're going to come up here one at a time, and then they're going to do a little Q&A, so you won't have to see me after this. Um, <laughs> Patrick Rothfuss burst into the fantasy literature scene with the 2007 publication of his debut novel, The Name of the Wind, the first in the Kingkiller Chronicle trilogy. Uh, the second book in the series, The Wise Man Fear, came out last month and debuted at number one on the New York Times hardcover fiction list, which is really something. Um, he teaches, <laughs> yay, <laughs> um, he teaches college, uh, at the college he grew to love as a student, and he acts as advisor for the college feminists and the local fencing club. Uh, when not reading and writing, Pat wastes time playing video games, holding symposia at his house, and dabbles with alchemy in his basement. Um, Amber Benson is multifaceted. She's a talented writer and actress. She also produces and directs her own work. Her novels include Death's Daughter, Cat's Claw, Among the Ghosts, and her most recent Serpent Storm. She's written, produced, and directed both feature films and a web series. As an actress, she's appeared in dozens of roles in feature films, TV movies, and television series, including three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I know there's got to be some Buffy fans here tonight. Um, so please help me welcome Patrick Rothfuss and Amber Benson. Emma and I were talking over uh, dinner, and I can't even remember how it came up, but we uh, we were talking about sex scenes <laughs> and about how we were both kind of firmly nudged into writing some for our respective books. And, uh, it, and this is really weird for me because I have not read anything out of this book at any of my readings so far, except for the prologue for fear of spoiling it for people. And so like this is the first thing that I'm going to read out of the book itself. Now who hasn't read book two at all? Really? Uh, well, <laughs> I, uh, I apologize for any potential spoiler here, but uh, so I'm going to give it a try. This is, this is a new experience for me. <laughs> Writing it was interesting enough, but I have, to, I have to find it. Give me one sec here. Thank you all for coming, by the way. Anybody know where the smut is? It's in here. It's in here. Oh, okay. It's a little bit before this. I know exactly. Boy, I don't. People are getting ready to video this. I can see it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be red as a beat up here. Yeah, that's where it is. Somebody has it bookmarked here. 
<laughs> okay, okay. Man, I'm already. Sexy music. <laughs> I need somebody with a wah wah pedal. <laughs> I'm already starting to sweat. <laughs> the real question I don't want to start all the way at the beginning of the chapter. Um, now, who's read the second one? This will make me feel a little bit better. Okay, so um, you, uh, he's just seen a, a creature who he only thought was legendary up until this point. Her name is Falurian, and sort of she's filling the archetypal role of the whole Bella Dame Sans Merci, the beautiful fairy woman uh, that he always thought was kind of a, a cute but kind of bullshit story and uh, just stumbles onto her one night not literally uh, <laughs> and you know sees her across the clearing and then uh, after an initial hesitation decides you know why not chase the dangerous fairy woman right through the forest <laughs> he wasn't you know he, he's 16 what do you expect out of him I turned back to the stream. Filurion was watching me. Even from a hundred feet away, I could see her dark eyes, curious. Her mouth spread into a wide, dangerous smile. She laughed a wild laugh. It was bright and delighted. It was no human sound. Then she darted across the clearing, swift as a sparrow, graceful as a deer. I leapt to the chase, and despite the weight of my travel sack and the sword at my hip, I moved so quickly my cloak flared like a flag behind me. Never have I run like that before and never since. It was the way a child runs, light and quick, without the least fear of falling. Filurian ahead of me, into the scrub. I dimly remember trees, the smell of earth, the gray of moonlit stone. She laughs, she dodges, dances, pulls ahead. She waits until I am almost close enough to touch, then skips away. She shines in the light of the moon. There are clutching branches, a spray of water, a warm wind. And I have hold of her. Her hands are tangled in my hair, pulling me close, her mouth eager, her tongue shy and darting, her breath in my mouth, filling my head. The hot tips of her breasts brush my chest. The smell of her like clover, like musk, like ripe apples fallen to the ground. And there is no hesitation, no doubt. I know exactly what to do. My hands round the back of her neck, brushing her face, tangled in her hair, sliding along the smooth length of her thigh, grabbing her hard by the flank, circling her narrow waist, lifting her, laying her down, and she writhes beneath me, lithe and languorous, slow and sighing, her legs around me, her back arches, her hot hands clutch my shoulders, my arms pressing the small of my back, and she is astride me, her movements wild, her long hair trails across my skin. She tosses her head, trembling and shaking, crying out in a language I do not know, her sharp nails digging into the flat muscles of my chest. And there is music to it, the wordless cries she makes, rising and falling, her sigh, my racing heart, the motion slows. I clutch her hips in frantic counterpoint. Our rhythm is like a silent song, like sudden thunder, like the half-heard thrumming of a distant drum. 
And everything stops. All of me arches. I am taut as a lute string, trembling, aching. I am tuned too tight, and I am breaking. Whew. <laughs> I'm glad I get a break now. <laughs> okay, where was the purple-headed monster we were talking about at dinner? <clears throat> All right, mine's like way naughtier. Mine's got like body parts named and stuff. Um, yours is like hot in like a lyrical kind of way. Mine's hot in a, well, I don't even know if it's hot, it's just dirty. Um, Oh, man. Oh, man. See, I should have read the second book first before we showed it. Oh, okay. Oh, this is embarrassing now. Are there any small children? I know, I know my friend's dad is here, and he already gave me kind of a thing about the sex scenes. Um. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Is there a dialogue? We can read it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you man. stepped in it. Yeah, I really did. But you, you have to do a southern accent. <laughs> I'll do my very best. You're Frank. I'm Frank. <laughs> Give me, give me a little, can you do fake southern for me for a little bit just so I can hear it in my ear? Um, it's more, not even, just like, okay. <laughs> Here, just, like, just a little like, bit like of a draw. Yeah, just a draw. A little draw. Okay. Hey, little lady, kind of, you know, like can, that kind of, yeah, yeah. Fake, I can fake a little bit of a draw. I'm nervous now. I I'm wasn't really nervous, nervous until we had to, like, read the dirty bits, because I thought yours was going to be as dirty as mine. Yours was just, like, good. <laughs> Like loot strings and like yeah, okay. <clears throat> so um, I, I I'm not even gonna give you any lead up. I'm just gonna jump right in. Um, I guess I should say like she's she's Death's daughter and uh, this dude has been sort of like in her in her periphery and he's been sort of chasing her a little bit. His name is Frank. <laughs> he's got a southern drawl <laughs> and a cowboy hat. <laughs> And there's naughty things. Okay. Wait, okay, so two four yeah, two fourteen fifteen. Okay. So um you start with don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave you on the mic. Uh, don't worry. A male voice whispers that you you I'm trying to do this. I feel like we should be doing islands in this stream or something. <laughs> okay, I'll do, I'll do the, the, the bit in between. Okay. Don't worry. A male voice whispered in my ear. I've got you, little one. You won't fall. <laughs> oh, boy. I breathed a sigh of relief when I realized my attacker wasn't the ender of death. But then I remembered that Frank... <laughs> <laughs> They're podcasting this. <laughs> um, and then Frank, the owner of the Southern Drawl I just heard, was as much my enemy as Marcel was, so I started kicking. Frank jerked away from me, but he still had hold of my hair. And when he moved, he unwittingly snapped my head back, sending a wave of pain up through my neck into my jaw. Ow! 
I cried as Frank pulled me close and wrapped an arm around me. Anyone walking around us would think I'd just gotten woozy and Frank was the good Samaritan keeping me on my feet. You don't need to fight me, little lady. Frank breathed in my ear. We're on the same side here. <laughs> then why are you kidnapping me? I growled back at him. I got no answer, which left me wondering how long it would take Jarvis to realize I'd disappeared. Sick lady coming through. <laughs> Frank repeated as he duck-walked us back down the stairway, eliciting some nasty comments from the people trying to get up the stairs to make their transfers to other lines. Frank, cowboy hat in hand, ignored the comments, an apologetic smile on his lips. When we got to the bottom of the steps, he made a hard right and dragged me behind the stairwell, which while not being totally hidden from curious eyes, did afford a bit of privacy. I can't believe we're doing this. So, so, so. I know where it's going. <laughs> Holding tight to my waist, he pushed me up against the wall, pressing his hard-muscled body into mine. I glared at him, but that only seemed to amuse him more. Calliope Reaper Jones, you are one spitfire of a little lady. <laughs> I can't, I can, okay, I'm, a, I'm an actor. I, do this <laughs> I should not be laughing. <clears throat> uh, uh, he said, grinning at me. Yes, sirree, a real hellion. And then he leaned in and kissed me. I wish I could say I didn't respond to the kiss, that it made me feel gross and dirty and evil. But the truth was much more confused and complicated. And by complicated, I mean it was electric. When he slid his tongue into my mouth, I felt like a pork loin simmering away on the stove. <laughs> All warm and mushy. <laughs> my body melting into his. He grabbed... <laughs> I could do it if it wasn't... Yeah. <clears throat> he grabbed my ass and hauled me up, my legs wrapping around his waist of their own accord. The kiss deepened, his mouth devouring mine, tasting my tongue and nipping at my lips. We fell back against the wall, his crotch hard against the softness between my legs. He pulled at my shirt, snaking his hands past the flimsy material so he, could, <clears throat> so he could get at my naked flesh, his hands burning me where they touched my skin. But it was the good kind of burn. He slid his hand up my sides, tickling the flesh as he searched for a way to get at my breasts. When his nimble fingers found my bra, he sighed. Oh, damn, baby, you feel nice. I'm going to get in trouble with my girlfriend about this. Oh, damn, baby, you feel nice. <laughs> he moaned into my neck as he pulled my right bra cup down. <laughs> See, it's naughty. <laughs> Freeing my aching breast, the nipple already hard and ready. <laughs> You're soft as silk, honey. That's a great act. This is a great accent for a sex scene. Boy, I hope my cell phone is going off in my pocket. <laughs> Otherwise, this got really weird. <laughs> oh, you are videoing this. That's no fair. Oh, my God. <clears throat> he moaned. Oh, I already did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I rasped. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> He rasped, kneading my breast with his hand. He traced his thumb over my nipple again and again, making it stand wantonly. I moaned when he stabbed his crotch vertically <laughs> into mine. 
<laughs> I moaned when he stabbed his crotch furtively into mine, <laughs> dry humping me right there. through this, dry humping me right there in the middle of mid-morning commuter traffic. I didn't care that we were on a subway platform doing things to each other's bodies. <laughs> that should only be attempted in the privacy of one's own bedroom. <laughs> because I felt like I was on top of the world. <laughs> or at least on top of a very, very sexy hunk of manhood. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> started kissing my neck, sucking on the delicate skin below my ear. <laughs> oh, Kelly, honey. He mouthed into my neck. Then he pulled his head away, smiling up at me as I sat astride him. Ah. Without a word, he released me from his embrace, and my body slid down the length of him. We stood there staring at each other for a full ten seconds. Our eyes locked together like two dots. <laughs> you can't laugh. Sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, my nose is running. <laughs> uh, we stood there staring at each other for a full ten seconds, our eyes locked together like two dogs fucking. <laughs> then he spun me around, slamming me face first into the subway tiled wall. It should have hurt. Scrap that. It did hurt. <clears throat> but I was too overheated to notice or care, especially when he stuck his hand up under my skirt and yanked down my tights. I was still wearing underwear, but it was so thin and filmy that it was like having nothing on at all. Baby. <laughs> he said as he slipped his fingers underneath the lacy edges of my panties and plunged his fingers inside me. He slid his fingers in and out of me and I groaned with every thrust, my entire body quivering as he had his way with me. I'm an actor, I can do this. <clears throat> oh my God, I moaned. <laughs> Straining against him as I unexpectedly climaxed, my legs going all limp and useless underneath me. He caught me in his arms before I could hit the ground. Good girl. He whispered. <laughs> we have the meeting out of the palm of our hand. Um, <clears throat> he said, oh. He whispered, kissing my temple before hauling me back onto my feet. I was drunk on sex, dazed and confused, totally out of my gourd. I hadn't done anything so hot and sexy in my entire life. It was like I'd stepped into some softcore Showtime movie, which had absolutely nothing to do with my real life, and been mistaken for one of the sex extras. It was insanity. I pulled up my tights and readjusted my skirt, but there was nothing I could do to hide the flush of sex that was ripe on my face. I felt giddy with it, wanton and completely satiated. But then a little niggling feeling of guilt crept into my head, buzz-killing my sex high. Daniel, I just cheated on the guy I was supposed to be in love with. Well, at least the guy I thought I was supposed to be in love with. Wow. You're a good sport, Patrick. Wow. You are way better at writing those than I am. Oh, I'm stuck in the accent. Did you hear that? I'm going to be fighting that for the next day and a half. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <clears throat> the most entertaining movie I've ever So, so uh, uh, Patrick and I met uh, two, two years ago, was it? 
At Comic-Con. We did um, a, a signing at Borders together uh, through Babel Clash, which is part of Borders um, online. And uh, we just had such a great time uh, talking and debating about urban fantasy and epic fantasy and just literature in general that we wanted to like do it again. And he was coming here to come to the Romantic Times convention. And so we decided we, uh, we would try and make something happen. So I invited my friend Sarah, who's also an, a novelist and a journalist, to come in and sort of debate with us. She has some questions. We'd like you guys to sort of jump in. And uh, yeah, we're going to duke it out and see which is cooler, epic fantasy or urban fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Here, what? OK. <laughs> that was a ton of fun. I, uh, I don't get to do much spontaneous reading stuff. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, well, I don't know how we can possibly top that. <laughs> um, but to, to talk about epic fantasy versus urban fantasy, um, obviously both subgenres sort of deal with the hero's journey, but as we just heard, in possibly very different ways. <laughs> um, I think there's more shopping in Amber's books and maybe more hard to pronounce names in Pat's. Um, but in all seriousness, I wanted to start off just asking you both what do you think are sort of the key differences? Differences between the two. Oh. Uh, You're more erudite than me. <laughs> I would have to look up erudite. Um, I think one of the big differences for me for urban fantasy is you have a really cool dynamic going on where it's the real world, and so one of the struggles you I always have in epic fantasy that's set in a secondary world is that I have to convince you, I have to really go to great lengths to convince you of the reality of that world. Whereas in urban fantasy, you're starting with the real world and you don't have to sell us on like Chicago. Um, we've seen it on a map at least. And so you get the, the cool benefit of having that instantaneous realism combined with the coolness of uh, the strange entering this world, where in this epic fantasy, typically it's all happening somewhere else. I think that's where I would draw the, the biggest line there. And I think sometimes with, uh, with urban fantasy, it's the hero sort of called into it, and there, there, there's not a lot of questioning in urban fantasy, from what I've, I've read, sort of like thrust on um, usually a female protagonist with urban fantasy. I find that that's actually the biggest yeah. divergence, is yeah. the female protagonist is, is much more like urban fantasy paranormal romance, while the epic fantasy is primarily the genre of, of male protagonists um, with females that are part of that world. But as you said with Maybe. Tolkien, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he's really one of the only epic fantasists with a sex scene guy, you know? And you see, even there, I was obviously throttling it back. I, uh, 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 and I've gotten criticism for having so much sex uh, in, in this book, because they're like, why are you sexing up my, why are you ruining my epic fantasy with sex? <laughs> so, so, so it's only epic if there's no sex? <laughs> that doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I think all, all my, my experiences with sex have been of the epic variety. <laughs> and most of mine have been urban. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
with the epic fantasy, there is the tr you see more of the true, like Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Whereas in urban fantasy, there's not like so much of that. It's, it's sort of you're thrust into the world. And you just sort of accept it. Like, yeah, I'm a witch, and I can do spells, and there's zombies and vampires, and the vampires I want to have sex with them. Um, <laughs> Whereas in epic fantasy, it is that hero's journey. It's the, I don't want to accept, I gotta accept, ah, all right, damn it. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, urban fantasy tends to be a little bit better with uh, having character-driven stories because they tend to be smaller stories set in a city with a person trying to figure things out. Maybe they're a romance of a sort, maybe they're a mystery of a sort. Yeah. But romances and mysteries are both tend to be smaller stories with more room in them for the exploration of a character. Whereas if you're trying to save the world from ultimate darkness, you know, there's not maybe as much time to explore <laughs> personal interaction there. That's, that's true. The, the, the epic fantasy is the purveyance of, of men going on big epic journeys. Yeah, a boy and his four friends save uh -huh. the world. Yeah. Yeah. And with urban fantasy, we just want to have sex with vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I did want to ask about the sort of gender question because, as you mentioned, most urban fantasy protagonists are female, with a couple notable exceptions like Anton Strout's yes, books or yeah. Jim Butcher's books. Um, and then epic fantasy, I think, is seen as more the domain of the male. So, could you guys talk a little bit about why you think there is that sort of divide? I want to know. Yeah. I think, well, all of epic fantasy is in Tolkien's shadow. Uh, it's, you know, Tolkien kind of started it, or at least he was the most popular. And so a lot of people, everybody loved it, and then people wanted more of it, so people kind of mimicked that form. And then people mimicked the people who were mimicking the form, and that became epic fantasy. Um, but of course, Tolkien himself was following the form of like the old Norse Eddas, which yeah. by themselves didn't have a whole lot of women or sex in them. Yeah. Um, even like like the you know the, the Greek like Odysseus and his try you know like uh, Homer was it was all man and the women were sort of secondary popping in and out and you know laying waste to, to men's egos so they yeah. could go fight you know cutting their hair off and yeah things to them and I think in a lot of ways I bet urban fantasy has had this huge upsurge kind of as a reaction to the fact that people weren't getting maybe what they wanted from a story out of epic or heroic fantasy where yeah. they're like, I want, you know, I want some sex in my books. I want yeah. some romance. I want female characters. And so they, they probably, you know, eventually if there's a demand, something will arise kind of evolutionarily yeah. to, to meet the need. And I think that's kind of what happened with, with Urban. That's yeah. a guess. Yeah, because Marion Zimmer Bradley wrote Miss of Avalon, which is, I would put that in more of an epic, but it does deal with characters yeah. un under the auspices of this epic sort of like thing. You're dealing with, with the women and how they dealt with the men who were going off and doing all this stuff. But but Morgan, you know, she was pretty, pretty yeah. cool for a female like character. She yeah. did all kinds of crazy stuff. And you can always find, like, if you if you look around, you realize some things that you never would have labeled as urban fantasy really are. Um, Peter S. Beagle, his very first novel, A Find in Private Place, it's way back in, in the 60s. And it's, it's perfect urban fantasy. Um, it's like two ghosts in love. Um, and it's, it's a heartbreaking little story uh, that a lot of people haven't read because it's kind of from back in the day. 
but there was no urban fantasy back then. There was just kind of fantasy, and a lot of people probably didn't read it at the time because what do you call it? You know, there's no orcs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Delent, I would put yeah. more in the urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. Like, cause he's fantasy, but like he does tend more to an urban sort of yeah. environment than an epic. Yeah, Gaiman's yeah. Neverwhere. Yeah, that's another. Um, and I, that was probably my first foray into urban fantasy. Uh, and then I went back and I read Emma Bull's War of the Oaks. Oh, I never read that. Which it's I good. think might have been one of the real first modern epic era urban fantasy ones. And I can see, I went back and read it and I go, oh, I can see how this has influenced other people who have written yeah. since then. Yeah. Um, and then for each of you, could you talk about um, why do you choose to write maybe one genre over the other? Why, for instance, is Calliope a, an urban fantasy hero rather than an epic fantasy hero? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why she's not an epic fantasy <laughs> hero. I guess her story is not epic at all. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess I tend, because I, you know, I've read epic fantasy. I enjoy, I love George R.R. R. Martin. I would put that in the epic fantasy world. You know, it's not full-on fantasy, it's more, you know, like, um, historical, historical alternates, university kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think of it as gritty. Yeah. That's kind of a big blanket term. It's like fantasy, but it's not, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, there's no, like, crazy magic <laughs> that, stuff. That sounded bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, I guess I chose to put her in that, in that format because I've read a lot of urban fantasy. I love Charlene Harris and, and Patricia Briggs and... You know, I just wanted to write something in that world. Plus, I, I felt like my sense of humor lent more to the urban fan. Like, you see what I'm, you know, like the sex extra at Showtime. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't work in an epic fan. Yeah, you can't do that. She was, can, can you? Well, no. <laughs> I think you're right. There is kind of this, again, I think it comes from Tolkien, because Tolkien was kind of pulling on this very old, very kind of formal literary tradition. Yeah. And you don't get much more formal than a Norse Edda, you know? Um, but, you know, it, it uh, who wrote uh, Another Roadside Attraction? Tom Robbins. Yeah, and it, uh, reading through that with you, or listening as you read it, yeah, um, uh, I remember... Even cowgirls get the blues. Yeah, the, the, the two characters getting together in uh, Another Roadside Attraction, and there was the phrase in there that I read it, and I'm like, this is beautiful. I could never write this in <laughs> epic fantasy, yeah. but it was like the girl sees him and they have this moment where they see each other and they fall for each other and the narrator says, the telephone rang in her womb. <laughs> that just did a whole page worth of, of, I know exactly what is meant here, yeah. but I couldn't write that in, no. in epic fantasy, no matter how hard I tried to contrive it. Um, <laughs> There's like there's a like a literary quality to epic fantasy, at least from my, my experience with that epic fantasy that isn't so like it's much more uh, pulp with with the urban fantasy I find, um, which isn't discounting. It's not saying one is better than the other. It's just a different style of, of writing. Because sometimes I'll write stuff and I'm like, oh, this doesn't quite work in the urban fantasy world. It's a little too pretty almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think and, and again, I feel the need to to qualify here. We are talking, like we're painting with a really broad yeah, brush. And any, anything you say, we're saying about epic, you can find the exceptions for, especially right now, because epic fantasy is very old as a genre compared to urban fantasy. Yeah. 
um, which you probably can't consider older than 20 years. Yeah, yeah if. If, yeah. but Early. Epic can probably go back maybe 40. And so now there's a big reaction to the, this classic standard kind of formal epic fantasy, and there's the people that love that, and then there's the people who are a little bit tired of that, and they're like, why don't we have epic fantasy, but it's character-centered, and we can have women, and some sex, and then some more sex. <laughs> and, then, and, and so there started to be the, the deviant epic fantasy, which is really pissing some people off now. Um, I, I haven't been reading these blogs, but a lot of people, like people keep emailing me and say, have you heard what so-and-so said on their blog about how the new generation of epic fantasy people are ruining epic fantasy? Aww. And I'm like, I didn't know that a genre was like a water reservoir. <laughs> you know, I didn't, you know, that's like people that say, oh, you've ruined poetry. <laughs> I would be so proud if I ruined poetry. <laughs> you write a poem so powerful. <laughs> fantasy you're getting these stories that diverge from this cliche well from this trope that has slowly become a cliche and so people when you meddle with something they love they get a little frisky about yeah. it well I liked what you were saying we were talking about this in the car that um, you know he's dealing with with a young male protagonist okay how many of you are you were young and male and you weren't attracted to women and you didn't want to have sex with them do you know what I mean like so you're reading these epic fantasies like well they're not having sex but that's so alien to how teenage or 20 something men are they want us you know every woman they see right well most maybe I don't know I'm not a teenage boy I feel like one sometimes but it seems sort of false to not have that be an aspect of your character's journey that they would see women and be attracted to them and I, I could understand it in sort of in terms of the focus of the story, in the same way that you don't see much of the functioning function blah, 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 functioning economy of the world in the Lord of the Rings, because like the major imports and exports of Mordor really aren't relevant to the story. There are people that will argue with you. <laughs> and similarly, you could argue that in terms like what's really important to the story is sort of these big heroic high notes, you know, like the battles and the, the good versus evil and the struggle of the desire for power over wisdom, which is divesting yourself of power, all of these kind of grand themes. And so, and you know, nobody goes to the bathroom. <laughs> because it's not that sort of story. It's not that it doesn't happen, it's just that if you focused on that, it, it would be urban fantasy. <laughs> Um, I always, I, when I was struggling to describe what sort of a world I was writing, I'm like, you know, I write fantasy, but it's gritty. And they go, well, what does gritty mean? I'm like, you could get an STD. <laughs> I don't think there's syphilis in Middle Earth. <laughs> How would it spread? No one has syphilis. Everyone reproduces by budding. Elf. <laughs> Maybe they reproduce via Parthogenesis or something. <laughs> um, 
just to, uh, one more thing, and then I want to turn it over to the audience for questions. Um, would either of you ever cross over to the other side of the urban epic divide? And if so, what kind of story would you write? to write an epic fantasy. I don't know if I have the wherewithal. I mean, I write 100,000 words. He writes 300 and some odd thousand words. So it's a big commitment to write an epic fantasy, but I would love to, to dabble in that world. I think it'd be fun going over to urban fantasy, too. Um, of course, the grass is always greener. Of course, yes. I go, I go, oh, 100,000 word book, book three. <laughs> if I was trying to write it, I'd be like, no! <laughs> beautiful words. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I would like is, the, the other problem I think I would have is that I did read a thousand epic fantasy novels like when I was a teenager and so I kind of absorbed and internalized all of that and digested it slowly over the years whereas I've just now probably within these last three or four years started to read urban fantasy yeah. and I don't yet feel the way about urban fantasy that I felt about epic fantasy, where I, I loved it, but I was bored with it. And so I wanted to write my book. And now I'm starting to read urban fantasy, and I'm like, I could do some funny things. <laughs> there are some, some, some trends that are becoming cliches yes. that I could really have some fun with if I wrote my urban fantasy. Uh, so I. Vampires, werewolves, zombie. Wait, wait, what would be your? Uh... All. <laughs> All plus lesbian unicorn. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not. I've got it all worked out in my head. I, uh, yeah, copyright. <laughs> I'm gonna be pissed if somebody writes that lesbian unicorn. <laughs> We look forward to seeing that the next time you're here in LA. Yeah, there we go. Oh, uh, dialogue in yeah. <laughs> it's not, I'm playing the lesbian unicorn. Yeah. We would both be lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm writing that tomorrow. <laughs> and on that note, um, <laughs> let's open it up to the audience. If you guys have thoughts on this whole epic versus urban fantasy thing, or if you want to comment on something that's been said, or if you just have a question, it's your hand. Right here. I just wanted to ask if you've read Jim Butcher's series of Calderon series and compared that with Harry Dresden stuff, because it looks like that's what he was doing, playing with both worlds, and they're both so good. And the theories, both of them make you want to go back and reread them a bunch of times to see how they all kind of connect, and just wanted to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah, Butcher's a rare, a rare beast in that not only does he write these really good books, he does it on a very good schedule, which makes me look like a chump. <laughs> and he did both, you know, epic and urban. Um, I haven't read the epic stuff of his. It's, uh, yeah, that's somebody's desperately trying to get, you know, just in case, I have a baby at home. Uh, just in case, it's my girlfriend with some really important news. It'll give me one second. <laughs> it's not. It's the only thing that could potentially make me interrupt this. Um, this is why I like Pat. <laughs> He's awesome. Uh, but I, I think it is kind of a rare person that can do both of those. Like Gaiman, 
like in Sandman. You, Sandman, I think you could probably point at as one of the formative things of urban fantasy too. Mm -hmm. um, while at the same time being extraordinarily literate. Yeah. Um, and very complex and interwoven and, and just good everything. But, uh, and I've forgotten the question. Or <laughs> <laughs> just, just how did, did, did you like it? Did you enjoy the, the Codex, Alara Codex, and how it compared? I did. I did. Uh, I won't say that it's like my favorite is epic fantasy ever, but yeah, it held up very well and had cool original concepts, which is really kind of what I need at this point if I'm going to read epic fantasy. I can't read another clone of a clone of Tolkien. I just don't have it in me. Are there tropes you guys are like tired of in your respective subgenres, or that you just never want to read again? I mean, it's just that the, the like the repetitiveness of like the vampire or werewolf sex with each other, and, like I mean, all that stuff. I just get annoyed. Like it's just the repetitiveness of it. It's just the same over and over mm -hmm. and over again. Um, I mean, it's like elves in, in epic fantasy. It's like it has to have an elf, or it's not an epic fantasy. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's usually the details or the props that end up being so repetitive. I can I can handle an elf. But I really don't want another ancient, long-lived elf with long blonde with hair, long, with long blonde hair, and a bow. <laughs> you know, I, I I could go my whole life very happily without ever reading another dwarf with a Scottish accent. <laughs> it's really insulting, and honestly, it treads. It's not even on on a fine line. You know, there's like really creepy racist shit <laughs> that you don't have to read very hard. Yeah, I mean, like, all dwarves are one way. All elves are one way. What? <laughs> you go, oh, no, no, it's different, because they are actual different races. And actually, it shows that they're not all like that, because these two people, they get to be friends, and they show that, you know, they're, no, actually. They put actually, aside their differences. They put aside their differences because they are different races, and even different races can be, no. <laughs> you, just, you just, like, you really made a mess of that whole racial thing. You think that that makes it better. Um, that's another thing epic fantasy constantly strays into. Um, uh, dangerous, like, racial subtext. I mean, the orcs. Come on. <laughs> it's a whole race of people who, by definition, are evil. So it's okay to kill them. Yeah. That doesn't work. I'm <laughs> okay. oh, sorry, I just have to say, like, R.I. Salvatore kind of explores that a little bit with Dark Elf Trilogy. Yeah, yeah it, it's kind of shallow, it's kind of, you know, it's very D&D &D and very, you know... But any step in the right direction. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how I feel. We'll take a tiny step over no step. I think they're, oh, sorry, oh, I had a question for you. So does your, uh, your lesbian unicorn, does it glitter in the sunlight when it goes out there? Yeah. The question I always ask is, were I a lesbian unicorn, <laughs> would I want to glitter? And I would think yes. <laughs> I think there's one back here. I have a question. When George was getting ready to launch his Song of Ice and Fire, did you read Tolkien? And he did a really deep analysis of how much magic was in sort of the, the, which was actually very, very little. If yeah. you look at it. And what I noticed in your book is that you seem to tread very lightly. I mean, you can lightly salt the magic. It, it's not a sort of constant presence. I mean, was that also a conscious choice on your part? And why? Not specifically with the magic, but I, I didn't want the focus to be on the fantasy. I knew from my story the focus was going to have to be on the character, 
and the events in his life, and especially because he was like a young boy through most of it. You know, he couldn't be having a lot of car chases and sword fights and killing the ultimate evil because he's like 14. Um, and so I had to come up with other legitimate uh, sources of tension and conflict for a 14-year-old boy that he could realistically overcome. Um, and so I was playing a whole different game from Tolkien. But similarly, Tolkien proved that you don't need a lot of magic. I mean, if you have a little bit of magic, then the little bit of magic is really cool. If everybody can, like, hook up fireballs, <laughs> then it's like... <laughs> yeah. Other questions right here? Yeah, yeah actually, slightly on topic of this, okay. You just mentioned tension and, you know, the, the depth of character that you were going for in the story. One of the things that, that I kept seeing, and I have a question more about craft, is um, I immediately cared for your characters, and if they were in peril, uh, both, if I'm saying that right, is in a, uh, an ex uh, he's trying to get into a school, and, and in this moment, he's trying to get into a school, just a college, there's so much like life or death tension. How do you, as a writer, like what do you do to create that kind of tension in that moment? Because I, I, I'm trying to write, and I don't know if I'm succeeding at that, and I want to have some insight into that. Well, I think this is something that epic fantasy people have to deal with way more, typically, because you're not saving the world. There's no army of orcs, so you can't kind of rely on, you know, ah, apocalypse, um, <laughs> to, to raise the tension of the story. Yeah. How do you pull it off? Oh, I think it's just, it's... Well, you, we were talking about this in the car again, the idea of having a secret. Having yeah. something that your character is, is is striving for that is inside of their head that you don't like you dole out pieces of it over the course of the book so that you're not just like giving everything up front you're not just like here are the goods you know you you slowly start to, to you know bring more and more into the story so that people each nugget you give them brings them into to your character and creates a little bit more tension because they're starting to really care about the character. I think it's really having an empathy for your character. If the audience goes with you on this journey, then they're going to be tense throughout any, any peril you put them in because they, they don't want your character to die or something bad to happen to your character. And I think that's, that's absolutely it. It comes down to an emotional connection with the characters. Um, and that's why that's one of the, the, the reasons that The Lord of the Rings works. You don't really, you don't worry about Aragon, because yeah. he's so cool. And Gandalf, like, comes back from the dead. <laughs> you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but the hobbits are there to be relatable, and to be ultimately, like, vulnerable. And so you are anxious about them in these huge battles and being overwhelmed by these huge events. Um, and I think you're right, if, if you take that out of the epic, uh, because really, it, there's a decent argument to be made that I don't write epic fantasy. You know, there, there is no invading army. Um, it's fair to say maybe heroic fantasy, yes. mm -hmm. or big fantasy, <laughs> uh, you know, like thick fantasy. <laughs> Doorstop uh, fantasy. I, I've heard the term BFF, it's big fat fantasy. <laughs> I like that. But, if, if the reader does care about your character, and your character cares about something, then by extension, you getting into a school, or yep. impressing a girl, yep. or like not looking like an idiot, or getting into the library, if you, if, you, if you parse it right, those things can be very tense. But it's trickier. It's trickier, it's way easier to like, 
you know. Throw a plot device in and be like, okay, big invading army, it's the yeah. end of the world. and, and Everything's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for everything's on fire. <laughs> but you know, like, like with Bilbo Baggins, like you see like the fallibility of the character, you see the human, the human quality of the character where like he doesn't always make the right choices. And if your character, and that's something I have a beef with, oh, Everyone okay back there? Um, I would be with urban fantasy because it's like there's never any questioning of it. There's never any fallibility to these characters. They immediately just take on these special powers and go out and fight the good fight. Whereas I think what you did, what you're doing specifically, is you're creating characters that that sometimes make the wrong choice or fail, and then we as people relate to them and we feel their pain. You know, we empathize with them. Yeah, and that's what I always think about in terms of writing a realistic story. Part of it's the world. But a lot of it is the people. And you know, you can't have a 16-year-old that doesn't make terrible choices. <laughs> uh, sometimes very clever, terrible choices. Yeah. Um, I remember reading in your blog that you mentioned that the, um, the framing of the story with, with Chronicler and everything um, was actually one of your leader versions to it. And so, two questions that lead off of that. What made you decide to frame it in that light? And why, I guess more to you then, why is it not seen as often in urban fantasy? Because I don't see that very often. You see framing more often in epic fantasy than you do in the urban. Did you repeat the question? Oh, um, it's the frame story. I have, uh, I have somebody telling a story in my book, and then you see somebody telling, it's like the Arabian Nights thing, yeah. where somebody is telling a story in the story, uh, and then in the story that somebody's telling, sometimes somebody tells a story. Um, a Matryoshka story. I stumbled into it, in all honesty. I'd written a big chunk of it. It started, my name is Cloth. And he went and he just told a big chunk of story. And a friend read it. And they said, so who's he talking to? <laughs> and I went, wow, that's a fair question. <laughs> but honestly, the only reason you would ask that question is because most books are third person. And the only reason they're that way is because of a weird literary tradition that started in the Victorian times. It's just weird tradition. There's no reason. Because third person is affected and it's odd. That, that's not how anyone naturally tells a story. I don't say, you know, yesterday he... No, I mean, what you do is you tell stories out of your life. You go, yeah. I was in the car, and we talked about this, and then this happened to me. Um, that's the most natural form of storytelling. I can't claim that I, I chose the frame story for any real good logical reason. I just stumbled into it and then made it work. Urban fantasy tends toward first person. So that it's stream of consciousness, and that's you know what I chose to do with my book. And it annoys a lot of people. They're just like, I hate this. I don't want to know what she's thinking 24-7. But I feel like... You want to get inside your character's head. You want to know what they're thinking because, with with an omnipotent narrator, which is great for some things, you never quite understand why the person is doing what they're doing. You're always it's all inference. You know, you're inferring that they're doing it because of this, or the the reader or the narrator will tell you that this might have happened to them at another time in their lives, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. But I think with urban fantasy, especially because you're telling a woman's story, you want to know why they're doing what they're doing because we make crazy. <laughs> I think we're just trying to help you guys out a little bit in fantasy. Really, it's just a, it's a manual to help you understand the female sensibility. <laughs> yeah, I also think that because character is so much more important, uh, typically in urban fantasy, 
uh, it helps establish the emotional connection with the yeah. character when you are reading the whole thing and kind of riding behind their eyes. Yeah. I think we have time for one more in the back. Um, just kind of following on that talk about first person, do either of you give much thought to uh, the reliability of the narrator? And the reason I ask that is because a friend and I were having a discussion before this book came out about how much we could trust what book tells us about the story. Uh, but then there's that scene in there where he gets really upset with Bast and he's like, no, yes, no, I'm telling you. Be, be a little careful here. I've already, oh. I've already spoiled some of the sex, but we do have a You few read people. the sex scene. <laughs> you had to know there was going to be a little sex in the book. But where, where Quote seems to assert pretty strongly that, yes, everything that I'm telling you about the story is 100% true. And I was just kind of curious if that was something you weighed back and forth at all, or if it just kind of happened. It's a good question. Good <laughs> 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 <an> answer, sir. <laughs> we could probably do one more after that. <laughs> It'd be a weird note to end. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. Here. Um, I'm on page 700 of Wise and Spirit. Both of 16 years old, and I heard that this is a projected trilogy. And I'm really worried how you're going to fit the rest of the life into that third book. I'm wondering if you can give a short script. It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of people have said that. Here's sort of something leading off of that because both epic and urban fantasy do tend towards series. You want to know what happens to these characters. So when you guys started writing both of your books, did you have a projected like this is definitely a trilogy? This is definitely yeah, we were just you know. talking about this actually. Yes, mine was a trilogy, <laughs> and then uh, I finished it, the third book, and uh, I had killed off a character, and they called me like, "Hey, we're gonna do two more." <laughs> so I had to go back in and, and unkill a character. <laughs> So yeah, that wasn't very exciting. Um, yeah, so mine was projected as, as a trilogy, and yours kind of... Absolutely a trilogy. Um, absolutely a trilogy. A trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right here? Um, kind of on that note, there's obviously some passages where Quoth just says, and then this, this, and this happened, and that's all we hear about it. That's, and I'm pretty sure that you have the same thing where you write a whole bunch more, and the editing process gets chopped, gets chopped. How's, how do you go about deciding what stays in and what leaves? I mean, is it better for the narrative story? Do you feel sometimes just a quick word is the best way to get that across? And does that still exist and will we ever see it? I would much rather leave something out and have all of you want it mm -hmm. yeah. than to put something in and have half of you be bored. <laughs> Yeah, you read, sometimes you'll read like an Anne Rice book or something, she'll describe the carpet for like five pages. <laughs> wow, <laughs> sleep at the wheel for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's always better to be wanting more. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that, that's always my philosophy. And it sounds weird to say that I strive for brevity, <laughs> but I really do. It's where I, it's, it's true, it's absolutely true. I, I struggled to keep this book as short as it is. I got 80,000 words out of this book. Oh my god. You know? If you cut my whole book out of it. Um, you know, and you know, in another couple of years, if I looked at it again, could I trim some more with some more distance between me and the, the text? Maybe. But right now, looking at it, like everything in there is kind of important for at least two reasons. Uh, now, 
all of those reasons might not be readily apparent, but stay a while. I, I'll be faithful. Um, I think we're going to move to the signing. Do you guys have any final urban versus epic, sparkly, lesbian, unicorn words you want to share? Yeah, I, I don't know if one wins. <laughs> I mean, did you think we could write something that was both? Yeah, I don't, how is epic that? Epic urban. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to try to write something that was, yeah, I bet you you could. You could. I bet you you'd have to create this world, but then have it be like urban fantasy mm -hmm. in that Within world. A dwarf with a New York accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy, I hope that would be, that would take some doing. Of your tents. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, no, Shadowrun would have to be urban because it's in this world. Yeah. Um, I would almost think, who's read, uh, anybody read Kiss Me Deadly? Yes. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of like, uh, what'd you call it? Urpic. Urpic fantasy. That sounds like a noise you make when you're sick. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I think that that's a genre we might see more and more of where people still want to have that secondary world but they want to play the, yeah. the urban fantasy game. Stevenson kind of mm -hmm. treads into that territory of like Diamond Age and yeah. slightly, but it's more it's more hard sci-fi. Yeah. But there is an epic quality to it, and then you do have a lot of character stuff. I don't know. I think Neuromancer is almost like urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. I bet you I bet you could you could make a good argument for that. So wherever you're going to draw the lines, it's going to be arbitrary in most cases. You say cases, urban, so. and I. Say <laughs> Um, Eben? Eben <laughs> fantasy is <laughs> But other than that, thank you so much. Thank you. And also a thanks for our lovely hosts. Yes. That was totally amazing, and I think it deserves another big round of applause. Amber Benson, Patrick Rothfuss. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.